All right. Well, we have got a lovely lesson for this morning. I'm very excited about the subject matter. Um, for me, this week's homework was probably one of the more um, interesting and challenging because we are stepping into sign gifts um, at this point. Last week, we covered a couple of what were, were called revelation gifts where these are giftings that come upon you in the moment by the power of the Holy Spirit where insight or knowledge or wisdom is given to a person in a needed moment, right? And so those are kind of also a little bit mystical in, in our physical world that we live in because they're not things that are real tan tangible. Uh, we, we really grab hold very easily of understanding of those gifts that are uh, real pragmatic. So I, first I want to do is I think as a way of opening is I want to go back and have each of you tell me your definition of the gifts that we've kind of looked at so far. Give me just a very simplistic, if you were going to try to explain it to somebody, okay? Um, and rather than me assigning one to anybody, I just want you to raise your hand and tell me the gifts that you know. Who wants to tell me about the apostle? Who is an apostle and what is it that they do for our body of Christ? Okay. Right. Okay. Very good. Okay, so they are those who are sent forth and by usually by the body of Christ, right? And and they're going forth. Their purpose is is a mission of some sort in and of itself. It's either to plant churches, which is missionary work or to plant missions of various kinds, like orphanages, even hospitals, or outreach programs. It can be a variety of things. That's kind of the neat thing about the apostleship, is it's not relegated to just missionary work, but it can include missionary work. Certainly in the early church, it was mostly missions, right? It was mostly missionary in its working. Um, but so it's those who are planters, basically they, they establish things. So they're sent forth and primarily their work is then to whom? The unbelievers, because what their mission is, is in the, in their going out and being sent forth is to present the gospel and to bring people in. And they do it through the works that they plant. Like if they're, if they're doing a, a children's hospital, for instance, somewhere in some land or in America even, they will then send into the hospital people who strategically ha have opportunities to witness, right? So their whole reason for the hospital is practical, but the real reason is they want to lead people to Christ. So that's what the apostles do, okay? All right, so you could almost call an apostle a missionary in some ways, right? Might be another term you could use, all right? What about the evangelist? Easy one, right? Who's the evangelist? Come on, you girls. Take the easy ones while you've got a chance. All right, there you go. One who shares that. There you go. Soul winners. They are the ones who go out and, and win souls for Christ. Their primary work is to? Unbelievers, obviously. Okay. What about our pastor or pastor teacher? 
Okay. The pastor has the one uh, the work of the shepherding, the over So when you see the term overseer in scripture, that's who the pastor is, right? The one who watches over, but they also have the qualification and ability to teach, right? Because they have to do both. They have to love the love the church and then nurture the church, right? As Jesus spoke to Peter, he says, "Feed my sheep," right? All right. And uh, the next is the teacher. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yes, that's who I am. And what is my primary work? Just to teach the word of God, really. It's, it's, it's exclusory to the function of doing what we're doing here, instruction, right? So that is the work of the teacher. They are the instructor. And their primary work is to whom? The believers, which is why I make a lousy evangelist. Because I'm used to teaching people who've got the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit right? And they're here and they're hungry and they want to know. So I'm not always having to be apologetic necessarily in the way that I present things. I'm simply giving you the facts, right? And teaching, talking you through it, hopefully to explain it. All right. Exhortation. Yes. The encourager. Oh, boy, do we need those in the body of Christ. You guys need to get busy because these, these churches, we are, we are losing so many people because of fainting right they faint away they they stumble across something hard in life their their situations get difficult and what happens they 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 fall away or they get out of the habit of their church or whatever and the exhorter's job is to do what that's right walk beside them they come into their lives sometimes for a short period of time, but sometimes for longer. You might even be an exhorter in a specific person's life for many years, right? And you get, eventually get a little exhausted of that, but it's, it's, well, you know, but at some point, you also, as the exhorter, need to know when you stomp the dust from your feet and move on. You have to let go. If they're not, if they're not actually coming back into a right walk with God, then maybe they never had a walk with God to begin with. Those are the discerning things you have to figure out as you're going along in your journey. So that's exhortation. What about leaders? Well, who is a leader? What is their, their purpose for the body of Christ? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? They are not necessary. Isn't that, in that's a really good point to bring out so that you understand your leaders who are not always super people oriented because they're, they really are much more focused on the big picture. They've got visions. You're absolutely right. They basically are the goal setters for churches, right? They go, let's do this. And they, and they are good though at getting everyone to follow them. And then sometimes those people who are following them are disappointed because they're not super engaging <laughs> with them individually. But keep that in mind. Primary ministry then for them is to whom? To the believers within the church itself, right? And then what happens is, is they can end up leading so that you go out and do other things, but they, their work is done from within the church. Administrators, Yes, they do make things happen. They make they allow uh, the rest of us to get our work done, right? They are the ones who provide for us the the smooth. They're like the John the Baptist that goes before, right? They 
clear the path and they set the things up and set the stage for everyone so that we can come in behind them and do the things that we're doing as teachers or leaders or pastors or whatever, okay? And their primary work is to whom? The believers in the church, right? How about giving? We have no givers. What is, well, obviously, what is the gift of giving? Well, those who have a, a, a compassion, a heart that goes above and beyond to, under, to see other needs and find ways to help. Okay, so it's a sacrificial giving that's beyond the norm, right? And quite honestly, in all of these gifts thus far, you bring up this point, Jan, which is really good, is that in all of these giftings, do all of us have some measure of responsibility to, to kind of exercise a little bit of the, all of these things to some degree? We all should be ambassadors for Christ. We all should be leaders of some to some degree, and certainly teachers in our families and homes with our friends. But there is gifting, right? And when it's a spiritual gift, how do you how do you distinguish what's the norm from the gifting? How about in your own self? How can you distinguish between Yes, okay. So the person who is actually gifted in it, it has to do with that motivation, that drive that's with them and their focus. Have you ever been in a conversation in your Bible study classes or, or other scenarios where um, a certain situation comes up um, and the person with the gift of giving, their immediate thing is, is can we financially help them, right? Uh, the exhorter is, who, where do they live? Maybe I can go and, you know, help out, right? Or the person with the gift of helps might do that. Or the teacher is like, well, they just need to be in Bible study because that will ground them, right? That will get them grounded and they'll have their their knowledge. I mean, so e each person has a different way of looking. The the prophet says, uh, what's their sin, right? They, they systemically see there's got to be a problem, why this situation is going on. There's something probably at the root of it. So we each view things differently. And what motivates us is that which drives us. So where does your mind immediately want to go to is a good indicator as to what the spiritual gifting is that you have within you because it's the spirit of God within you that's taking you there, okay? Uh, helps. What do they do? They help. They're basically the, the, the task force that's in the church that sets up, takes down, sweeps, mops, carries, pulls, picks up, takes apart, puts back together, right? They're the workers. Uh, the service gift. Now, did you guys know the difference between helps and service before doing this gift, this class? So now you do. The gifts of service is distinctive, is it not? And who are they? Yeah, they're primarily sent, to, sent by God to assist a person who's in a demanding job in and of themselves, like a pastor or like a teacher, and the service gift comes alongside of them, and they want to mostly help just that one individual. It's not that they can't help others, but they mostly affix themselves as a helper, like what we see in Scripture with Paul, who had certain people who st stayed with Paul all the time, and they're kind of in the background. Paul's the one in the forefront doing all the preaching and the teaching and the you know, and all the letter writing. But in the background is somebody who's fetching things, right? Making sure the 
the they've got food making sure he's got his cloak making sure he's got his parchments making sure he's got somebody's helping them right in in its service gifts not just helps okay mercy i have no mercy either so what do you think mercy gift they have so much compassion so in every scenario that comes to them their heart literally aches for that person in a in a very profound way they emotionally connect with people right and so their primary work is then to the church but it can also be they can also be used especially in evangelism scenarios they might go alongside of the evangelist and they're there to to give those initial hugs and then they bring in the evangelist to hit them with the gospel right it's a good one. <laughs> okay. They're the, they're the comfort givers or the hug givers in our church. And the prophet? This one is also has been a little bit vague to most of us in our understanding, but now do we, uh, do we kind of understand who they are? What, what is the pro prophet's primary work? What do they do? They do give forth, but, but as a teacher? Yeah, right. It is a, they are the ones who point out sin. They are the ones that protect the church from things, faults coming in, right? And they, they basically whip the church back into shape. If the, if the church starts to get fat and sloppy and lazy, and it starts to having an effect of, of uh, disarray in the church or deterioration, particularly of the word of God, what what God said to the Ezekiel was, I am making you a what? What am I making you over the house of Israel? A watchman, right? Because he watches over the house of God to make sure that they are kept, kept in line with truth, right? And that they are living that truth. So when they fall out of line, they're the ones that point out the sin and go, nope, what you're doing right there, that's a sin. And this is why. They don't, but most of us do not like the prophet. We have to stop that. You have to love the prophet because they're the ones that really help us to identify you know, those, those problems that are rooting and setting down root in your life. And you may not like them at the moment, but Hebrews tells us in 12 that discipline at the moment may not feel good, but later it produces what? A harvest of righteousness. There you go. All right. What about the gift of faith? This one is also a little bit vague, I think, before. The idea, the concept that we have faith, we enter into salvation by faith, right? Is that the same thing, though, as the gift of faith? No. So tell me what the gift of faith does. It is a supernatural thing, exactly. It's a faith that's a supernatural empowers. There's a power behind it. So I call it a power gift because faith is a, it's faith with power is how you see it phrased often in the scripture or somewhere in the verse where the concept of the spiritual gifting of faith is taking place. When they talk about it being a, a, a faith with power or a faith that moves people. So it's not just faith that's passive, right? So you look at, one of the chapters in the Bible does a pretty good job of showing you all kinds of acts of faith that are probably actually demonstrations of the spiritual gifting of faith, not to say that everyone in there has it. But what chapter is our faith chapter? 
Hebrews 11. So if you go in there and you look at the lives of people like Abraham, and he said he believed God, and he and so he began to move. Oh, that's outside the dump truck. <laughs> um, he began to move in the in the um, belief that he had, the faith, the confidence that he had. So God made him some promises. Some of those promises took many, many years, and some of the promises never came to fruition in his lifetime right? Concerning the coming seed, the Christ. But he had to wait many, many years, even with his son. But what did he do immediately when God called him? He got up, he packed his bags, he left the land that and began to move in the, in the ways that God told him. That's faith. So that would be considered an act of faith. So those with faith are the ones who, um, they, they, they have a belief for God for things that are, are otherwise seemingly impossible right? It's, it's a beyond, it's a faith that goes beyond. It's the one who says, as they look at an empty table, thank you, God, for the food you're going to provide. Yeah. And they simply believe God. They just have that confidence. And in the church, we have, we have people like that, that just know oh, it's going to be fine. You know, I have seen it actually, even in my life on occasion where God has really given me a moment of experiencing that kind of faith. It is not my spiritual gifting, however, but I have had moments when I just believed I knew God was going to do it. I had this confidence. And I remember one of my pastors at, at my church in Izmir, um, uh, his name was Bob Cruthers, And we were setting up a precept a workshop that was coming in from Israel and from the United States into Turkey at our military facility. And none of the books had, or things had arrived yet. And it was going to be like in just a few days. And we had over 100 people sign up, which was huge for a little tiny place like that. Um, and he just sat like this. I remember him sitting on the pew, just shaking his head. And I said, don't worry. I said, God would not have taken us this far that he will not provide. I absolutely know they are going to arrive. It'll be fine. And he just, you know, he, well, the next day I saw him, the books came in. He said, Katie Phillips. <laughs> and I thought, oh. Yay, thanks, God. <laughs> but it was one of those moments I just had this sincere confidence. That's the gift of faith. That's a faith moment. You and I can all experience a faith moment, but there are some in the church who have a spiritual gifting of that kind of faith, and they walk in it on a regular basis. And they are, the, they are really the, the confidence builders for the rest of us weak-minded people. Okay. Um, then there's, or I would say pragmatic, but you know, that's, you know, uh, word of wisdom. We did this last week. What does our word of wisdom do? You don't know? Okay. Wi yes. Wisdom. Now, who is the wisdom person in the Bible that we think of that when, when we think about the word of wisdom? Solomon. So Solomon had wisdom and it was, was it, how was his wisdom given to him? By God. So this is not a wisdom that's book learning. However, you can have book and you should have book learning, right? That's your well that God draws out of to give you additional insights and, and knowledge of how to handle things. But this wisdom is, is a wisdom that comes from above. It comes upon you in the moment. So give me an example of who, who it is that generally has word of wisdom in our church environment. What kind of positions do they carry for us? Counselors. They're the ones who give counsel. Because what happens is, is they sit down with someone and they hear their sob story. 
right? Or their dilemma that they're in. And out of them comes wisdom that just is like, oh, I think you could do this. How about trying this? And it's something that God gives them to help counsel the body of Christ. It's wisdom that comes in the moment. So it's not something you book. It's not a book learning wisdom, right? This is wisdom from above. All right. So they, they generally, they speak forth the counsel from God as needed for a situation. It's spiritual thoughts with spiritual words as wisdom from above. Okay. Uh, word of knowledge. Say it again. It's also God-given, right? This is a word of knowledge that first comes upon them by this inspiration also. We call it revelation, right? So when this revelation, now their, their revelations can come to them by dreams, by visions, but also just by inspiration of the word. Maybe they're reading something and all of a sudden a thought comes to them by the spirit and then they go with it. Once they get the insight from God, go into their little cave and you don't see them for years sometimes they spend forever digging it all out researching it putting it all together but it began with a divine revelation from God um, they're also the ones like for instance like um, John on the island of Patmos was given a revelation from God it was a prophetic utterance but he was also given wisdom pertaining those seven churches that were present remember the writing to the revelation where the write the things that are the things that the things that were the things that aren't things that which shall yet be, uh, come to be or whatever so he, he had it was there was a three points in there and so he spoke of the things which are being those churches that by divine revelation God gave him insights about those seven churches that were functioning churches in his day and how would he possibly have had the insight about those churches' systemic problems had it not been by divine revelation from God? He couldn't probably, right? Especially not to the degree that he had. So it's divine revelation. It's knowledge that starts somewhere. Daniel, the same thing, given divine revelation from God. And he talks about it in there that, God, it is you who who gives, uh, uh, brings us basically out of darkness into light, puts the light of your truth into our minds, and then you, and you reveal things to us. And that's that. They're often commentary writers, right? They're deep, they're deep studiers. Those given and enlarged supernatural knowledge. Again, they don't start with books. Because they start digging in and doing all the research. Okay, so they're researchers. All right, so that's a good review, kind of, of those gifts. Hopefully, we're we're beginning to, you know, kind of get an idea of what all those things are about. Now, what we're going to do is healings today. Okay, it's where you started in your homework. Let's just start with a word study. The, and we again the word gifts now we've done this one before because we started when we did spiritual gifts on the whole we looked up this word before so it's 5486 and it's the word charisma and tell me what it means what is charisma Yes, it's a gift of grace. So it starts with grace. And where does that grace come from? Grace from God. 
Okay. It is a free gift. A free gift. And you know, this may not seem like an important part of that definition, but if it's a free gift and it's grace, and grace is what? By definition, unmerited favor. So it's not something you've earned. It's not something you've sought for. It's not something you went out and, and instigated on yourself. So this grace is something given to you, right? All right, so let's put that at Chris. It, it is given to you. All right, so that's one thing about gifts. And then so the next one is healings. And did you notice something unique about that, that uh, healing uh, word? Did you notice that it's plural? Yeah. Did anybody kind of think that went through a little bit? Why they that might be a plural instead of a singular, like the gift to heal? Rather, it's gifts of healings. Why is that? What kind of healings are we talking about when you did your homework? What did you see? Yes, physical and spiritual. So there's two specific kinds. And within the spiritual realm, what kind of healings can take place? Casting out demons, which would be a spiritual thing, right? Can be illnesses, diseases, can be birth defects, can be things like blindness and lameness from birth. Um, so this is why this is a plurality thing, gifts of healings, spiritual and physical. Okay, so healings is number 2386, uh, I-A-M-A, I-M-A. Ayama, maybe. Okay, what does it mean? <coughs> to cure. Or, of course, the word heal. What else? Any others? To make whole. I like that one. Okay. All right, so that gets us to the place of understanding the definition of the word itself, which I think is really essential. Just, it's kind of like your step one. Before you can begin to parse out in scripture what it is that you're looking at for that gift of healing, you need to know fundamentally what is it saying about it. So now, what do we know about the person who has the gift of healing? It's given to them. So in other words, this is not a trained physician right? This is not something that is done that you prepare for it, right? It's something that happens by God's decision. So it comes upon a person. What does that also tell you about the person with the gift of healings and who instigates that healing? God does. So it's not by the power of you. You don't get to say, oh, I'm going to go over to Janelle's house and I'm going to lay my hands on her and I'm going to heal her tonight. Can I do that? No. Or I'm going to go on the street corner down here in Austin. I know there's this really crazy person. I see him all the time. I'm going to lay my hands on them. I'm going to pray for them that they be healed. Now, could it be that I got there and did that and they would be healed? Yes. But do I get to be the one who decides? No. So if it's a gift and if it's a divine um, inspiration by God's movement, then the first thing you always want to keep in your, in your mind is that this is the work of God. 
This is not a man work. This is a God thing. And so it, it happens according to God's timing and planning in all of these things. Okay, so let's start with who healed. Those were some of the things that Kay asked us to look at. Who healed? Well, the first one we looked at was Jesus, correct? All right. And I want to do is take you guys back to something that's familiar to us. We all did the study in Luke just recently, right? Do you remember when Jesus began his earthly ministry? He basically had a mission statement that was a, a quote out of Isaiah, right? Go back with me to Luke 4, 18, and somebody look that up and read that. We're going to do some foundation laying here that's going to help us with the idea of these uh, sign gifts that I think is going to help us, I hope. It helped me. <laughs> I got blessed. Let's see if you do, right? Okay, so he started out by making, giving a mission statement of why he came, and he quotes Isaiah, basically saying, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? Then later on in his ministry, flip over to chapter 7, um, uh, it might be verse 22, that's the one I've written down anyway. And do you remember at this point in the account, we have John the Baptist who has been uh, arrested, correct? And John is now, because of the pressures of being in this real uh, difficult situation and the persecution that he's going through, he begins to have some waning in his faith, right? So he sends someone to ask Jesus, are you the expected one, correct? What was Jesus' response? Read 722. Okay, yes, Martha. Okay, so he, he, he quotes back to him that basically there are two things that he did in his response. He said, I am proclaiming the good news, right? And the good news for them is what? That the kingdom of God is coming, right? And for, that means a lot of things we could go into and we're not going to. But basically he's preaching the gospel. And secondly, he, in, he emphasizes that what was he also doing? Healing people, right? So now flip over to Malachi 4.2 because I want to, I want you to just see again how God gave these prophetic um, statements to basically Israel to let them know who this Messiah was going to be when he came. So look, look at Malachi 4.2. Okay, so remember when we did one of the um, miracles in the book of Luke was the woman who was healed of the the uh, the uh, issuing of blood that she had had for many, many years. And so she snuck in basically and just touched the hems of his garment. And what we came to find out was that what that was talking about is because of this verse, 
because he will come with healing in his wings. They used to call the hem of the garment the wings of his garment. And so she thought, if I can just touch the wings of his garment, I will be healed. So what did what was she displaying there? Faith. And faith that if he, speaking the word of God, saying, I am the, the expected one, right? I, and he was proving it, evidencing it by his display of signs, of wonders, of miracles, and of healing. So she touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Okay, so put. I love it when we get to go back and take our old studies and pull them forward because it helps us to remember what we studied and kind of maintain that um, those cobwebs get swept out a little bit. But also it brings it forward to see how these, these truths apply where we're at right now. Okay, so... If this is true, then what we have to understand is what is the the relationship in what we're studying right now between healing, physical healing, and um, Jesus being the expected one and coming with the gospel? Because it seems like the, the, the healings and the gospel seem to be going side by side. So we want to try to figure how these come in together. So... Remember that even when we taught Luke, one of the things I kept doing was taking you back to Genesis 3. And I said, okay, so where did where did this problem come from? Why was it that Jesus, when he came, went about healing, raising the dead, um, casting out demons? Remember? Do you remember what we concluded about that? What was the, the, the historical premise to all of that? Why was he doing that? The, Okay, so when he, so that's exactly, God imposed basically a lasting judicial consequence to spiritual death. In the garden, when we died spiritually because of sin, he imposed upon the world death, disease, and those consequences, right? With it also, who was the temptation in all of that? What was, who was behind that? Satan. So the demonic forces also came into play. So we have demonic forces came into play. Jesus or God imposed upon us a lasting consequence to remind us we fell in this way, to remind us that we have a need for a savior, right? And that we really should be following God because in doing these things, there's, there are consequences. So God imposed lasting judicial consequences to the, sp the spiritual death and sickness that we federally bear because of our sin. In other words, when I say federal, it's back to Romans 5. Federally, you're either in Christ or you're federally in Adam. And if you're in Adam, you remain dead spiritually, right? So when Jesus came, he came to give you an opportunity to move from being federally dead to being federally in Christ and alive. What kind of healing is that? That's spiritual. Can you see spiritual healing? Can you see spiritual healing when a person is spiritually healed? Not really. Only later in their actions, right? But in the moment... I wish, I, do you guys remember seeing the Left Behind series where they had a cross on there and you could see it glowing and people could identify when I'm going, oh Lord, please, wouldn't that be awesome? If we just could see a glowing cross on all of our foreheads, we'd know for sure who is in our midst that really loves the Lord. It would be so much easier. <laughs> I know. I know. I would love it. It would be so good. Okay. But okay. So 
because of the judicial consequences that are lasting and there's, and because it's a spiritual matter of the heart that you can't really physically see, God attached an external sign to remind us about it, something that we could see on a regular basis that helps us to recognize we have a need of a Savior, right? Also, he imposed, by the way, wearing of clothing. Every single time we get dressed, we should be reminded, the reason I'm putting this on is because I am a sinner. Right? Are you, are you kind of getting these? Isn't it awesome how many physical things he gave us to remind? We've all forgotten that that's what they're for. But the physical reminder is when you, it's not just to keep your body warm that you put clothing on, you know, or to be cute. <laughs> right? Or not so cute for some of us. But, but it's for a reminder that we are sinners and that we have need of covering. And our covering is Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Okay, so now we're now we're starting to lay a foundation as to what is the connection then between physical death and spiritual death, and how is it then that when Jesus came, he says, I'm going to come doing physical signs of healing sickness. Why would he do that? Because he's showing you in a physical way what? What he's doing in the spiritual realm. Does that make sense? So when he heals, he's showing, he's showing an external way of, of, of affirming a couple of things. Number one, affirming who he is, but also affirming that there's spiritual health or spiritual wellness available through him and the message that he, he bears. Okay, so from that time on, in the, from the Garden of Eden on, we have had physical sickness, death, and spiritual warfare as a physical reminder, reminder of our spiritual condition before God. Now, let me just say this real quick, though. Since we're talking about this, the spiritual gift of healings, I, what I don't want you to, to think is this. That does not mean, however, that every illness is a sign that we have sinned. And I've heard that that's a problem for some people, that they always think immediately, well, if you're sick, it's because you sinned. That is simply not true because there is a natural consequence in the world of, of degeneration and of illness and sick, sickness, disease, and spiritual, and spiritual warfare, by the way. So sometimes your, your sicknesses can even be the spiritual warfare that's going on. So you have to be able to discern that. However, certainly if you're sick... You know, I've just been through this, as you know, like eight months of, you know, two surgeries and all these issues I've had. Certainly you should go before God on your knees and say, Lord, if I have sinned, show me my, my sin so that I can correct this. And then I ask for your healing. I want physical healing to match my spiritual healing that you've already given me. Right. So you should go to God and ask for that kind of healing. But that is not what the gift of healing is speaking about. This gift of healing is something that Jesus demonstrated to us through his coming. As he said to John the Baptist, he says, what are you seeing and what are you hearing? I am preaching the gospel that I am here as your spiritual healer. And I am physically healing to give you a demonstration that it's true. Okay. That's why they call it a sign gift. Okay. Now, Isaiah 53 is a verse you did look at. So now open your homework assignments. Go to Isaiah 53. With that foundation, I think that's going to be helpful. I hope it is. And I've, I've written all that stuff out here, but it's not going on the board for you today. But it's on, on my chart that I'll send out to you just as for a quick reminder. But I think that if you understand 
in principle why Jesus physically healed and that it's related to, to the fact that basically he's just giving you a visible picture that affirms he has both the power and the right. You remember one of the times Jesus healed and he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, I say to you, get up and walk. Do you remember that one? That's why he wanted them to have a physical sign that he had that power. That he, in fact, was who he said he was. And that he, in fact, was the one that God sent to forgive man's sin. To be the one who would do, be the propitiation for our sin. All right. Now go to Isaiah 30, uh, 53. And we, I think we looked at 4 through 11. Well, you just looked at 4. I liked all of it. Um, let's look at that verse and read the whole thing. Isaiah uh, 53. I want you to read 4 through 11, somebody. Okay, so the reason I had her read that whole thing, because the context, the full context of that really takes you to the next place. The, the single verse simply lets us know what. What does he tell us in an Isaiah 53, 4? 53, 4. Jesus, he carried our griefs and sorrows, right? Now, did you look at a word study on griefs and sorrows, anybody, so that you understood what those those words meant? Yeah, I did. I got, on griefs, I got 2483, which is sickness, disease, malady, anxiety, calamity, and I got grief. Okay. Okay, so griefs, it's basically... Grief can actually be translated sickness or illness, okay? So griefs means sickness. And then sorrows means pain or suffering.
Okay, so in the verse that we looked at alone, it just simply says that Jesus carried our sicknesses and our pain and suffering for us. Because remember, if the consequence for sin came upon us in this form of sicknesses, grief, sorrows, right? So when he went to the cross, what happened? He went to the cross to bear those for us so that we could be healed of those things. In eternal glory, when we get our new bodies and we go to heaven to be with the Lord, will there be sickness and sorrows anymore? No, I didn't even look that verse up, but you all are familiar with that one because we all hang our hat on that one day, no more, right? Okay, but the rest of the verse that goes on to explain that when he came to cure our sicknesses, when Jesus physically walked the earth to heal sicknesses, was it for the sake of healing sicknesses alone? No, and that is the important thing. So in the gift of healing that he would give to someone in the body of Christ, what would be the goal or the purpose for the gift of healing then? If Jesus came healing, but it wasn't just for the sake of healing, he came healing, and what was his goal? Yes, so that they would turn their life over to God, that they would be saved. It would be spiritual healing that he was really interested in. So I thought what was interesting was the ones that I told you about a moment ago, but the man who, who was um, crippled, and he said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to heal or to or to forgive sins. Because right before that, what did he had simply said to the man that was on the pallet? Your sins, your sins are forgiven you. And there he still lay in his physical illness. But what but in order to do to give a manifestation that people could recognize and then believe on, he said, therefore pick up your pallet and walk. But Jesus' first priority was to do what for the man? Forgive his sins. So that's what you have to understand about the spiritual gift of healing. It's about people who are in their sins coming to salvation. Ah, light bells are kind of starting to come on. Are you, are you seeing why it was necessary to go back to looking first in Luke at Jesus' mission statement? Then connecting that to back to Genesis to see why do we have physical sickness? And then to go forward and say, well, see, now Jesus said to him, yes, I'm the expected one. What am I doing? What am I saying? And what am I doing? And he, can, he merged those two concepts together and he said, my gospel is what I came for and I will give you a sign that it's true. And that's what the gift of healing does. The gift of healing is a spiritual gift that comes in to give the gospel and to affirm it, if God so deems, by healing. Now, there's another one. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, yes, exactly. He had to, uh, and he also took him back to say, look, 
we have to remove the barrier here that that you don't seem to quite have a, a grasp on, and that is you can't even understand my message, Nicodemus, until you have a spiritual regeneration, which takes us back to Second Corinthians, which we just did too, which says things are spiritually appraised and spiritually discerned if you have the Spirit. But if without the Spirit of God, those things are what? Foolishness to you. So Nicodemus had to be told, you're, you're still seeing the things that I'm saying as foolishness because you don't yet have the, the spirit of God. You need the spirit so that you understand the things that I'm saying. I just love it. It was a great one. Yes, that one was in our homework. Okay, but here's another point. Jesus, when he came to heal, did he heal everyone? No, he didn't. Here's a great example. Let's go to John 5. I want to read verses 1 to 9. Do I have a brave soul that would like to read nine verses? It's a little bit of a stretch, but it sets a scenario. And I do, I'm do. i not sure, but I think we did look up this John 5, and I'm not sure. It might have just been one that I found. John 5, verses 1 to 9. Thank you, Kathy. Okay. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been thirty-eight years and had sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Okay, now there's a whole lot more to this storyline that we could go into, but the part that I want you to pick up on is how many people were in, in that area waiting to step into the stirred waters? A multitude. And Jesus came in, his eyes scanned the palate of the people laying in the area, and he focused on one man. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he picked one man out of a multitude? Right, okay. Yes, okay. But do you think Jesus knew that? Well, of course he did because he's God. But I mean, besides that, do you? when Jesus walked in, though, do you think he picked him out because he'd been there the longest? There you, there you go. What in every one of the stories that we looked at, even while we did our, our study in Luke, what was it that Jesus kept saying to people when he did make them well? He says, what has made them well? Your faith has made you well. So he walks into this portico and he looks for a person who will have the faith to believe him. Not just the faith of something that they that has been demonstrated year by year has occurred and now they believe it. Like the rest of them laying there going, well, I've seen people walk into that water and get healed and walk out. So is that walking by faith? No, that's a, I've seen it happen. I'm going for it, right? But this man 
Jesus simply says, do you want to get well? And his reply was basically, yes, um, but I can't get there fast enough. But God looked at his heart. Jesus knew he had the faith to be made well. And he said, get up and walk. Did the man ever get in the water? No. He heard what Jesus said. He obviously knew who Jesus was and knew of his message and of of the the mission that Jesus was there for. And he believed him. And he stood up and he walked. And yet, think of the multitudes that were there. What could he have said? You're all well. And they all kind of stood up and walked. But did he do that? So there's another really good point about the gift of healing. Is it available for every single lost soul? Well, it's available for people to come into faith if they want it, but I'm talking about the spiritual gift of healing. Is it available to be used on every lost soul? Will it be used for every lost soul? Did you come into your salvation by the gift of healing? No, not by the gift of healing. Certainly God, see, this is where we have to just to, to to split hairs on the fact that there is a spiritual gift of healing and then there's the spiritual healing that we all get through faith coming into faith in Jesus Christ. But what we are trying to learn about in this study is specifically what is the gift of healings that Jesus endows into the body of Christ. And by the way, how many people in the body of Christ get it? Some. <laughs> it's it's only some. And it's who determines the, who gets the gifts? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. When do you get your gift? At your spiritual birth. Can you imagine being a person who, who might get healed by a supernatural act of gifts of healing, who then gets endowed with the gifts of healing? Wouldn't that be cool? I'd like to meet one of those people because they will have experienced that kind of supernatural healing, and now they will do that kind of supernatural healing. But whether it's a physical healing or not, we all get a healing, but it's but I'm trying to help you discern the difference between a person with the gifts of healing and how it's exercised. Does a person with the gifts of healing heal every single person by a supernatural healing in their in their work as a missionary as they as they give out the gospel? No, even Jesus didn't. Even Jesus demonstrates to us that he was selective in whom he gave that that healing to there were truly if you walk into any situation in a classroom if we're any example of what jesus faced when he walked the earth how many in this room right now would love the lord to just heal their whole body of all kinds of things yeah okay not one of us said no do you think jesus know knew this yes but did he go around healing every single person no he was strategic and and by the way, when that healing comes, it's from power above. This is from also the will of God the Father working through the Spirit in that one individual gift. So God determines not only who gets the gift, but he also determines who gets the exercising of that gift upon them. So he decided this man at the pool of Bethsaida, he walked in, he scanned the room, he selected a one person, and he said, do you want to be well? And he said, yes. And he and he says, get up and walk. Oh, 
Oh, I know. There's so much more in that story. That whole story is very interesting, and it used to totally confuse me. But the more I study, the more I start to understand the things that are going on there. But okay, so here's the the question then: Why Jesus heals? Why heal? Is the question right? Why is the healing? Well, when Jesus did it in Luke seven that we just talked about, he did it to prove what or to affirm what? Uh huh. To affirm um, that he was the expected one, right? And in our case, it would be to affirm that we are representing that one who came as the expected one. Right? So if you want to move it forward into our application. Um, or to in another verse in John 9, uh, basically he did these healings in John 9 to affirm that um, he was sent by the Father. That he was that one who was sent. In other words, just restating he was the expected one. So I'm going to put on here Luke um, 7, 22, and then I'm going to put John 9, 1 to 7, so you can look those up at another time and kind of get a little further development if you want. But his real goal when he healed was to accomplish what? Salvation. So it was to bring people into faith, right? To bring people salvation. Um, did we, tell me if we did... Luke 8, 48, or 17, 19, maybe. Did we do any of those? Okay, tell me, tell me what it says in... Okay, so it was just making the same. Okay, so some of these verses, the way this is a, a, a problem, I think, in the way this, I'm not trying to be critical of it, but I, I just think that you need to be told as students. The verses that Kay is giving you, it's like an abundance of them, right? And all she's trying to do is make sure that you see the fact that he came and he healed, he came and he healed, he came and he healed. I'm going, okay, that's fine. But if you actually look at the fuller context of these storylines, look at what's before and what's after, you can build it up and strengthen your better understanding of how he came and he healed, but what was he doing before he healed? What was he doing? Preaching the gospel, right? And then once he healed, what was the result? Either the, the person th themselves who was physically healed was also spiritually healed, or another thing that also would happen is people would what? Other people would what? They would see it and also believe, right? And they would rejoice. And there was rejoicing in God himself, right? So there was a, there was a, um, a glorification, basically, that came for, to God the Father because of it. So he did it. To bring salvation, he did it to show or prove that he was who he said he was, or for you and I it would be to prove that the message that we have about him is true. So this gift could be used in both of those scenarios. Um, I'm just going to add a little thing. He did not heal all. He did not heal all people he came into contact with, right? We saw that in um, John 5. 
or you may not have, but I, I found that verse, and I, I wanted you to see that because I think that was an important po point that he did not heal all people. You just need to know that. And so the person with the gift of healing will not heal all people. If we had a person with the gift of healing in our midst and we knew of him, um, you would probably have an interview with him, and he would be one who would also say, no, I don't, I can't heal everyone. So we looked at some other examples on this. So other people that were given the gifts of healing, and I think this is to build up your idea of who, who gets these gifts. Uh, the first one we looked at was in Acts 3 and also in 4, correct? All right, what did you see there? Who, are, who is involved there? Peter and John. I asked, let me pull my notes out here so I can read them better. Uh, okay, the first several were all about Jesus. Then we get down to um, Matthew 10, Acts 3 and 4. And then, yeah, 3 and 4. Okay, so those are the ones that we looked at. I developed quite a bit out of those. Okay, so Peter and John, Matthew 10, 1. Who, who was giving gift of healing there? Those 12 disciples or the apostles. But so that you don't narrow it down too narrow and say, well, that was just a gift for the apostles. It was just a gift that Jesus exercised. You have to develop it a little bit further, right? Do you remember the next chapter after, after uh, this account in uh, Luke 8 where Jesus sent out the, the 12 and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal, right? Then what was the next chapter? Who did he send out? He sent out, yes, the 70, exactly. So he sent out 70 various apostles, disciples, people who loved him, people who were following him, but it wasn't the 12, right? And they also were given power and authority to heal and to give the gospel, correct? So that it was a sign. So basically, this seems to me to be a sign gift that accompanies what? Accompanies what? Yes, it's an evangelism like sidekick tool. It's a tool that supports the evangelist. So it would not surprise me to see that many evangelists might have the gift of healing. Interesting, huh? Kind of makes sense. Or if the, if it's not, if they don't have the gift of healing themselves as an evangelist, I bet their buddy who follows them around all over the world does, right? Um, they he now here Luke ten. I want you to see what it says in Luke ten nine, because I like the way the flow of this was given when Jesus gave them this authority to go out and to heal. He he links two things together here in this, and I want you to see it. I'm spending a lot of time in gifts of healings. Effecting of miracles is going to be a breeze because we'll have done all the hard work here. And miracles is very similar, okay? It's not very, very minor in its difference. Okay. Tell me what you see in Luke 10, 9. Okay. Heal the sick and do what else? Tell them the, the gospel. So that's the link in this particular gift. Is It seems like the gift of healing is also an, an evangelism gift. Okay? I'm going to put up here. Gifts of healing. So it's... Um, 
leads people to believe it's an evangelism support gift. It seems to me like that. And you could put Luke um, 10.9 in there as a statement. In, it was not in your homework, but she took us into Matthew where Jesus summoned his 12, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. But then if you drop down to 7 and 8, he, she only gave us verse 1. If you keep going in that same passage and you see verse 7 and 8, and he says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the, the lepers, cast out demons, Freely you received, freely give. What did they freely receive? What did they receive? They received healing, but what kind was it? Theirs was spiritual healing. He didn't lay hands on any of them and heal them when they came into faith, did he? He called them. He confessed to them who he was. He presented himself as the expected one. They believed. They began to follow him, right? But when he gave them authority, he said, Now, you freely received your spiritual healing, I want you now to go out, give that gospel message that gives spiritual healing, and while you do it, heal. Huh? Okay. Do, can, I'm sorry, do I need to give you another verse? Okay, good. Okay, so are you following me? Now, not only the 70 got to do it, not only the apostles did it, not only did Jesus, who initiated this whole thing, right, do it, but also we see in Acts 4.3, it's made mention of again, it starts with Peter and John. So again, those are the apostles, right? So that's a repeat point. But it, very interesting to me is when you get down to verse 29 of uh, Acts 4, uh, which verses did she give to us in that? In, okay, so she did give you all those. Excellent. I'm so glad. Uh, she gave you 23 to 30. So if you drop all the way down to 29, he, he says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Talking about people who are trying to prevent them from preaching the gospel, right? And he says, And grant that who? Your bond servants. Now, bond servants expands that a lot, doesn't it? Now it takes it from not only is he saying not just us, the apostles, but anyone who is a bondservant. Now, who's a bondservant? Yeah. And when you come into faith, who do you become a bondservant to? God, right? So who are bondservants? All of us, right? So now the fact that he uses that term in that verse there, he expands it from being not just us, the apostles, but anyone who is a bondservant. And he's saying, um, get, grant that your bondservants, because they had, they had a large group of people traveling with them. It wasn't just the 12, right? There was others. And he's saying, grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you, you who? You, God, extend your hand to heal with signs and wonders. And signs and wonders take place through the, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So when they healed, who did they heal in the name of? Right. So healing was, oh, let's put a healing. 
in the name of Jesus. It was um, the way that they, let me see. Here it is. Um, it, it is the gifts of healing is God extending his hand to heal. That's in Acts 4.30. Pretty interesting list that we got going there, isn't it? About the gift of healing. Healing, it's something that's going to lead people to believe. So basically, it's an evangelism support gift. Let's, that's according to Luke 10, 9. We see that when the healings take place, the healings are done in the name of Jesus, which then leads you back to the evangelism thing. What, what is the message in the name of Jesus, meaning the gospel, right? And when it occurs, it is God extending his hand, meaning, therefore, since it's a, a charisma gift, meaning grace, it's a free gift, and it's given to you, therefore, it's by the power of God in his timing to those whom he chooses. You are not the one doing it. You are not the, even though you have the gift of healing, it is through you that God operates, but it's not you doing it, right? Obviously, it's not our power. We don't heal. God does. So he gets to pick who, who he does it at what time and when. And it doesn't always be put into effect, even if you have the gift. So you can't count. You don't call on the gift. You don't command the gift as a person with the gift of healing. God is the one who, who does this. How different is that from what you see in the world? with the gift of healing right now. When you turn on your TV sets and you look at TV uh, shows where they do healings. Right. Sometimes that does happen. It almost becomes, you know, their, their publicity sort of and their following in and of themselves. So they can abuse it. Now, if they legitimately, though, have the gift, can they still do the things that they are doing on these TV shows? They should not be able to. It does not seem logical to me because what happens if they show up just as Jesus did to the, the, the pool of Bethsaida? right, where there was a multitude of people, what if I, as a person with the gift of healing, show up, and maybe there's not a person in there that God selects to have that healing for, but what do they do on the TV show? They line up in the aisle, and they all come up, and one by one, he lays on his hands, and they all get healed, and they get slain in the spirit, and they fall down, or they stand up, or whatever, right? Do you think that seems to be a good representation of what this gift is about? No, it doesn't. So that's why, though, because of shows, and I call them shows, that where the gift is misused and displayed in that way on public TV. Now, here's the interesting thing. Could it be that that individual did have the gift of healing and that something supernatural like that had occurred some point in their life? Yes. Now, the danger is, can there also be false healings? that are not of God. We're going to look at that in the miracles section because we're 
uh, Kay had us look at a lot of times about uh, situ well, maybe it wasn't there. Maybe it was um, distinguishing of spirits also, the, that there are false spirits out there, right? We also know there are false signs and wonders that are going to occur in the end times. So false healings can occur also. and We have to be aware of that. So beware of the faults. And I'm just going to put that on here as a warning. Beware of the faults. And I can see why people who have the gift of healing probably are not very vocal if they, if they genuinely have the gift of healing and they know it and they've exercised it and used it. I'll bet many of them are actually a little hesitant to advertise that because it can't be drawn up by, com by their own command. They can't say, I'm going to heal you and, and heal a, an individual, number one. Number two, where would their work be done? In the church or outside of the church? Outside the church. Because it's what kind of a tool? Evangelism tool. So it's not a gift intended for who? The body of Christ. It's not intended for the believer. Oops. Does that mean, oh, so go ahead. You tell me, what do we see? Why? Well, if you've got an unbeliever in the church, but is it for the believers of the church? How? You tell me from what we looked at. On all the examples that we saw, when healings, supernatural healings were done, who was healed? And what was the result? And remember the foundation we laid in all this before we got started. What, what is the purpose of healing? It's to show an external sign of what? An internal work. So if you're coming into salvation and God wants to affirm to you that the message you're hearing is true, you can put your faith and trust in it. And what God is going to do is save you. But he gives, as he did to the man who said, I have forgiven your sins, now get up and walk. He gave him the external sign to give him confidence of the internal working of God. If that internal working of God has already taken place in your heart as a believer, would the exercise of the one who has the gift of healing do it on a believer now okay this brings up another question then now let's separate the other thing does God heal believers of course he does does he use the gift of healings to do it no <laughs> okay so there's your distinguishing okay now we feel better <laughs> I'm sorry go ahead Yes, there we go. So now, so yes, so let's look at that one where he took, he, she took us in day two's homework. She said now, and what was interesting to me is, huh, you're going to like this when I did mine. Immediately I saw there was a problem with the homework. I'm going apples, oranges, apples, oranges. <laughs> she gave us four verses and they were merged together with apples with oranges. The gifts of healing and to be healed by God are two different things. The gift of healings is a spiritual gift tool for the evangelist for winning souls to Christ. 
But to have a get a healing by God, it's very different. How did you see healing for the the common body of Christ? How did you see it effectively talked about in here? What happened with Paul and his work with people? When Paul himself was sick or when some of his co-workers were sick, did you see him exercising the gift of healing with them? But had he exercised the gift of healing with other people? When, and when he did exercise it, what was he doing? He was winning people to Christ, right? But when it came to other people, do you ever see him take his spiritual gifting of healings and heal a fellow worker. No, there's not one mention of that. As a matter of fact, what he says to Timothy when he writes a letter to him back to the church, he says, by the way, uh, overseers, there are qualifications for an overseer. You're not to be given to much wine, right? Correct? We looked at that when we looked at the overseer. But then he goes on later, he says, but because of your ailments, go ahead and take a little wine. So he gave a caveat to the instruction about not being given much to wine, but said, but look, don't be legalistic about this. If you're sick, take care of your sicknesses. But he didn't say, go see the person with the gifts of healing, did he? Now, if the gifts of healing were for the body of Christ, why wouldn't instruction be in there for us to simply go to those with gifts of healing? What was the instruction? To go to who? The elders, the overseers. They're in a... Uh, uh, technical role in the church as overseer it's an office they hold the office of those people who hold the office as overseers right or as elders they probably have a variety of spiritual giftings they might be leaders they might be evangelists they might be administrators they might be mercy they might be prophet right there's a variety of giftings those men have um and he says go to them and what are they supposed to do? Does he say they will exercise the gift of healings? And does he assure them you will be saved? You will be healed? No. Because first of all, what is already really healed for you? The, the essential. The spiritual healing. You've already been spiritually healed. We're only dealing now with the external physical body. And that is going to, to yes, you go to God. Yes, you pray which is what we do. That's why we pray for one another. But he says to those um, who are going to go and see the elders, what does he say? Yeah. There you go. He says, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now you tell me this. Does the oil have some kind of special power? What is the purpose of the oil? It's a, and it's an anointing that is symbolic. What is the symbolism? What does oil always represent for us? The Holy Spirit. It's a visible presentation or a visible statement that you're relying on the Holy Spirit. It's all it is. So it's, it's, it's again, an external sign of something of spiritual that's going on. So he says, you are really, what you are actually saying is they're anointing you with oil and they're saying, by the power of God and his spirit, that they're going to therefore call for healing for you. They're not doing it enough themselves. They're, they're actually taking the um, 
the the nuance or the or the thought that maybe the elders have some kind of spiritual supernatural thing going with them and he's re, they're removing it off them and saying it's god that's going to do this okay and so they anoint them with oil and it says and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So in other words, there's, there's a variety of things going on in there. And every one of us in this room who are sick or have been sick, we understand this. When I, when I am sick and I pray to God, and even if I went through all these instructions, is it a 100% guarantee that I, that I will be healed of that situation right then in the moment? Is it going to be a supernatural healing as that occurs with the gifts of healing in the moment of evangelism? Where he says, Pick up your palate and walk? No. It could be a process. It could take some time, right? He says, confess your sins, pray to one another so that you may be healed, right? Uh, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So he's saying, yes, Jesus is your healer. Your ultimate healing has already taken place by faith. And the physical body's illnesses, though, you need to just treat as you should. What he, he says in Timothy says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh huh. Well, I drew pictures on my on my sheet. Apples, oranges, apples, oranges, <laughs> because I needed to separate which which one was being a demonstration of the spiritual gifts of healings, and which one was a demonstration of just our physical bodies getting healing healing by or through our great physician God, who is ultimately our healer. But our great physician he heals us sometimes through doctors, sometimes through medicine, sometimes through surgery, right? We all have to go see a be healed in some way at some times. But we don't use the spiritual gifts of healings for us. Isn't that good to know that, though, now? you got that separated out in your mind. It's like, I get it. It's an evangelism tool. Aha. It's for bringing people into faith. That's what its purpose is in the body. Yes, there's healing for you in Jesus and all those ways that are laid out for us in Scripture. Yes, we go to God to, to ask him to heal our bodies and give us strength, right? Sometimes he heals us physically. Sometimes he takes us home. And then we have real healing. <laughs> Yay! All right. Um, Paul, he talks about um, Epaphroditus. He had been sick, right? And what did he say about Epaphroditus? Yes. There he laid on his sickbed in Paul's presence, who has the power to heal, who has that supernatural gifting. He didn't lay on his, his hands on him. He did not say to him, get up and walk and pick up your palate. Did he? So what is, well, no. It says he did not. As a matter of fact, he says, um, one of them, he says, I left him. Yeah, here, in 2 Timothy 4.2, Erastus remained at Corinth. I left him there. <laughs> he says, And he says, but Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. So he left this other guy, Trophimus, sick. So now if he had the gift of healings and the purpose of it or the function of it was to heal a fellow believer, why wouldn't he have done that? Why didn't Paul heal himself? when he had all the ailments that he had. 
or his or his fellow uh, apostles whenever they were sick. But he didn't. Did you ever think about that? It's like, well, why did why didn't he just heal him? He had the power to. No, because that's not the spiritual gifting's purpose. The purpose of that gift is an evangelism tool to bring people into faith in in unusual circumstances where that kind of thing is needed. Now, if a person can come into faith without that kind of a supernatural sign, I would say God probably won't won't do it. God actually prefers. Remember what he said to in the upper room? Do you, were you thinking of that one? Okay, go ahead. Yes. There you go. That's a perfect one. And I thought about in the upper room with, with Thomas. And he said, blessed are those who believe without what? Seeing. Right? He says, well, let me see the nails in your palms. Let me see the sword wound in your side. And then I'll believe, basically. Right? Some people do. And what's really interesting to me about this, too, is knowing that God examines the hearts of each person. He knows who needs that extra measure of sign to come into faith. A person like me and probably all of you, we didn't need it. We believed without that. And God says, blessed are you who believe without seeing. And do you remember when Jesus came back, raised from the dead? He wasn't recognized by many people when they first saw him. Why not? God had actually cloaked their minds from seeing who he was, right? And later he reveals himself. But what does he do in the process? He's trying to draw out of them what? Faith. To believe what they've been taught. He says to the two, road, two men on the road to Emmaus, what was written in the, in the, in the prophets and the law about the Christ? And, he's, and he talks to them all day long about those, those ancient writings, those prophecies about Jesus. And little by little, one by one, these things start flooding their mind. They're going, yeah, that was Jesus. Yeah, that was Jesus. Yeah, that was Jesus. Well, then why are you down? And why have you left, little sheep? Remember the one passage in Luke where he says he leaves the 99 to go for the one, right? This is Jesus' moment of leaving the 99 back in Jerusalem. He goes out there on the road to Emmaus to find those two men who had left before the Holy Spirit had fallen. And he brought them back. But he first try to draw faith, 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 right? But they needed that extra measure of help, so he went the extra measure. The gift of healings does that. It's for those who are not going to come in to faith without it. And for whatever God's design and purpose is in the moment, he chooses to use it. But I think the majority of the time he does not use it. It's a rare gift. It does not get used as often. I think as we get closer to the end times when there's a lot of false signs and wonders going on, there will, it will become much more prevalent again. Do you notice how in the days of Moses it was really prevalent, these signs that were going on? God was really showing a lot of signs. Then when the church was birthed and when Jesus first came, lots of signs. And it seems like there's another lull right now. Wait till the end times. It's going to raise up again. And it talks about that in some of those verses that we looked at. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So what he said. 
It said, well, he was an unbeliever, but in the moment, because of all that was going on, Paul came giving, giving the gospel. Uh, uh, Adlister, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. So he then, in, in that listening, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what's going on here. He's hearing him. Uh, then Paul fixed his gaze on him, and by divine inspiration, he saw that the man had faith to be made well. So you know what he did? Because physical healing is an external sign of an inward working of God. Paul was given, uh, was it Paul? Paul was given a divine insight. He recognized the man had that kind of faith that God was going to spiritually heal him. So what did he do? He physically healed him as a sign. And the result also was, he says, stand up on your feet. And he leaped up and he began to walk. And then what was the additional benefit of that sign? What happened with the crowds? The crowds saw what Paul had done. They raised their voice in the language and they talked about the gods coming out. So what was happening with the people? They were looking at this and going, oh, this is supernatural. Something's going on that's big. It got their attention. Now, not everyone will come to faith who witnessed it, but it will get their attention. And that's the point to the because it's a evangelism tool, its purpose is to draw people in. It's to rein in who can be reined in. Paul selected the one person in there who actually had faith. The rest of them are giving credit to the gods, right? But Paul found the one guy in the group who actually had faith to believe the message of Jesus as the expected one. And he said of him, he would heal that, that, how did he say? He says, um, he said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And the man stood up and he walked. I know we're spending a lot of time in here, but I think having done this, when we move now over into miracles, which we have to do because otherwise we're not going to ever get through this. Um, are you beginning though to see how this, the necessity of understanding it as a evangelism tool is so important. If you don't catch that, then you get you just have all these questions. But God does heal you as a believer, but not through this gift. Yes. Well, I don't think we all necessarily do have all the gifts, we have a potential to have them, but this one is not one that I would say I've ever seen exercised in my life. Yeah, it probably, and, and it's rare even in the body of Christ today, especially. If needed, yes. Could God in a unique situation with you, if he put you on a island in the or out in the jungles of whatever somewhere, Right. I mean, if he, or if he took you into a certain scenario and gave you a moment when you were being the evangelist that you're not, but he gave you that evangelism until you began to speak, maybe even speak in tongues. That's another sign gift. Works the same way. And all of a sudden you begin to speak to them the gospel and you say to him that you may know that what I am saying is true. God is in that moment, for whatever reason, giving you the confidence in, I mean, you would have to be very confident in that moment. But if you said to that person, get up and walk, and they did, is that a possibility for any one of us in any moment? Of course. 
I could. But will he? Probably not most of us. As a matter of fact, we don't see the gift that used that often even in the church in this era right now that we're in. But it doesn't mean it's not there, and it does not mean that it is not still active, alive, and well. How do I know that? Well, the most important one is go back to 1 Corinthians 12. This was a, t- a teaching given for the body of Christ after the resurrection and the birthing of the church. And he says, to some he's given this, to some he's given this, to some he's given this. And guess what? Gifts of healings are in the list. Right? So you can be assured that if teaching was given, so was gifts of healing. Because otherwise, if you're not going to believe in one, then you can't believe in any of them. Just take that whole chapter. Actually, we've got four books you'd have to throw away. Right? 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Out. All gone. If you're going to not believe in the one gift of healings, or tongues, or miracles, Okay, so now you can, I'm hoping you can see, is everybody kind of on board with me? Is there, are you, is there still any real confusion? I want you to understand this fundamental truth about sign gifts. Because now this information carries through. Everything we looked at on miracles applies. And so miracles, basically same thing. We looked at um, affecting of miracles. We'll just do this real quick. Affecting, and that was number 1755. And I loved the Greek words on this. This first one is E N E R G M A. What word do you see there? Energy, right? So that's exactly what is it? Energy is a working. I have to really make you, this part quick, you guys. I'm so sorry because we spent so much time on the first, but I knew that was going to happen because. This is fundamental to the rest following in, into place. Okay, affecting and the word miracles. And miracles was number 1411. And there's that lovely word, dunamis. And what is that word? Greek, and dunamis is the English word dynamite, right? Dunamis, dynamite. And affecting is energy. Right? So, effecting of miracles is a working, it's a deed, it's an activity. Now, my theological dictionary went on to say it's the work of God through human hands. I love that. And it says it, it works as a tutor to bring us to Christ. That was right in the dictionary, the theological dictionary of the New Testament. What they did is they took the fundamental uh, word which is to work or energy or a deed or an activity and then they went in and they looked at the use of the word in its context and they drew out of it these two definitions okay so i love that so it's a it's a work of god through the through human hands which is why that one verse where we read he said i pray father that you give us confidence to continue to preach the gospel and for you to do the deeds of god through us Right? So that's exactly what he's saying here. The work of God through human hands. And it is a work that is a tutor to bring us to Christ or to bring others to Christ. Miracles is what? How do you see that one defined? Okay, power. 
force, a force. Anything else? Mighty, did you see that one? Mighty works. Okay, strength, that's a good one. So it's something that's pretty forceful in, in the exercise. A deed manifesting great power with implication of some supernatural force behind it, right? So it really does, the, the miracle is an affecting of miracles. So again, if, if this is a work or a deed or, or an energy that, and it's, it's through God, right? Because these are gifts of God's through God. And it's a supernatural force. If it's a power and a force, a mighty deed, a strength, and it's beyond the human level, therefore it's supernatural, right? Supernatural force or power working indeed. So what's the result? Okay, so affirm Jesus was the the um, I'll just put I'm going to use the same word expected one because for simplicity of our flow of thought here. So it was Jesus was the expected one, resulting in salvation, right? Again, it's back to being a tool. It's a twofold tool that works hand in hand with the gospel being given and then people coming into faith. The sign is given because of a heavenly event that's true, something you can't see in the supernatural realm, like the healing, or in this case, there's some kind of work behind the one giving the message, and in the, in the physical realm, then a sign is given to affirm the message, right? Affirms the expected one, or it also affirms the message. Okay. All right. Now, so in all of these, it says in John 2, the result was, this one, this one was the water to wine, right? And he performed all this kind of behind the scene. There were some uh, servants who knew what was going on, but basically in the end of it, in verse 11, what happened? The, the disciples believed. And what happened concerning? It manifested Jesus' glory. In other words, it, again, it affirmed that he was something beyond the, na the natural norm, right? There was a, it manifested his glory. Okay, then we looked at Jesus performing signs again in John 2 and John 7. And what was the result? Yep, many believed. And in John 7, 31, what happened? Many, they did. And what I think is very interesting is, is it talked about him. He says, when the Christ comes, he won't do more miracles than he will, will he? Right. So again, what was happening was they were recognizing that that the signs proved it was the evidence that showed 
I this this is probably what exactly what the expected Christ would be doing. There were all these prophecies that when the Christ came, that these are the things that he would be doing, and now he this guy's doing them. So they were recognizing Jesus for who he really was because of the miracles. So the miracles were a tool to do what? Bring belief. Correct? All right. Now Barnabas and Paul. They gave a defense for the Gentile faith, right? And what did they use as their evidence that God was behind it? This was in Acts 14.27. Do you guys have that? Oh, okay. 15.12. There you go. Okay, so they relate to them about the signs and wonders that were being done among the Gentiles. And by doing that, that was their evidence that it was God in the working of it. And that God basically, they were affirming that the Gentiles had come into faith. Bye, uh, Yoshiko. Have a good day. Bye, Heinz. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And, okay, so again, the purpose of it then was to approve or affirm the message, the messenger, and the result. And all of it relating to salvation. Right? Bringing about salvation for the Gentiles. Okay. In Philip, he healed and cast out spirits in Acts 8. The multitudes, therefore, what, how, what was their response to this? They gave attention to the gospel because of what had happened? Miracles. So what's the purpose of miracles? To get them to pay attention to your message. <laughs> so you have to have a message with this particular deal right you don't just walk around town doing miracles for the sake of doing miracles you do the miracles as a as an affirmation to the message that you're giving is true and that it's from God okay um they also it says much rejoicing occurred in Acts 8 8 and 8 12 did you see what happened there I don't know if she took us that far but I looked down to 8 12 Acts 8 12 and the people were being baptized. So guess what they were ha what was happening as a result of this miracle? They were coming into salvation. So again, what is the affecting of miracles? It it leads people to believe the message and that the messenger is from God or supported by God or approved by God or however you want to do it, right? Um, so again, it's a support group, a support gift to evangelism. It, it, it affirms the truthfulness. Okay, see how quick we went through that one? 
pretty quick, huh? Not bad. We didn't get to go. We didn't look now. He does say, she did have us look at some false miracles. Remember? She took you to Matthew 24, 2 Thess uh, 2, Revelation 13, Revelation 16. In all of those, it basically took you, except for the very first one, Matthew 7. I'll, I'll address that in a second. But Matthew 24, um, all the way down through Revelation 16 was all about end time events, right? About the second coming of the Lord and what's going to happen in those end times. And in those end times, what are we going to see happening? Lots and lots of false signs, false miracles, false wonders. So just be aware of that, okay? Knowing that prepares us for that day, correct? But also Jesus spoke in Matthew 7 about false signs right false prophets and things that were going to come when were those things going to happen right now from the from the birthing of the church until the end of time there were going to be occasions when there will be false signs and false wonders and false miracles that will happen you need to be aware that not every miracle you see is from god right i wish we had time to really talk on that but it's it's important that you understand there can be faults, which takes us to the next gift that's so essential, discerning of spirits, okay, or distinguishing of spirits, I should say. All right, this one, the word distinguishing, Do you, does somebody need help with something? Oh, okay. Uh, 1253, and it's the word... D-I-A-K-R-I-S-I-S, diacresis. What does it mean? I like that. Judicial estimation. I mean, in other words, a judgment, right? Okay. Any other? discernment but it's um yeah okay discernment uh to evaluate specifically it's a discernment to evaluate okay very uh, very interesting yeah. Okay. So because of that, because basically what, if you're discerning and the, and the next word is spirits, let's get that up here too. Right. The, it's plural spirits, not just a spirit. So it's multitudes of kinds of spirits. 4151. Now, how, how is that defined? P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. What can be the possible spirits that were listed in your word study? Okay, demonic or God, God's spirit. And then there's another one. Who else has a spirit? We do. Spirit of men, man. Man's spirit. So in other words, can be a spirit... Uh, if you think about this from the perspective of maybe being in a Bible study and somebody is teaching, are they teaching under divine inspiration or are they just teaching from human spirit of 
it could be good stuff too, by the way. I mean, not all people, you know, if I sometimes give you examples of things that maybe it's just something that comes to my mind and it's not necessarily from God, you know, it could still be a good insight, but it's from human level. But when would this, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sure, because, okay, good, good point. Demonic or angelic, right? Because there are good angels and bad angels, right? So it could be any kind of a, of a spirit could fall into those. So then it has to be about context ruling for your interpretation of what kind of spirit. Now, when we looked at it, how was the gift used for the common good in the body? When you looked at Acts 5 and Acts 13 and Acts 16, what did you see happening there? How it was used. Okay, so in Acts 13, what was it? 13, 8 to 12, I think, was what y'all looked at. Okay, yes. Acts 5, 11. I know, you guys are getting me confused. Would, pick one verse and tell me what you want. Okay, I put um, Acts 13, there's Acts 11 also, there's 5.11 rather. Okay. A deceitful magician. Oh, wrong one. Uh, the very title magician gives you a clue, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. All right. So the kind of discerning then in this one um, is what? what? How did Paul exercise that spiritual gift of discerning or distinguishing of spirits there? Isn't that interesting? So what does that tell you about this particular spiritual gift? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Or when he looked at him, what might have happened in his own mind's eye? God revealed something, right? So it's a supernatural working of the Spirit of God in this person. So again, distinguishing of spirits is a little bit like word of knowledge or word of wisdom where it's an, a super le supernatural level. It's the Lord working in and through, through this person. This isn't necessarily them seeing a person and evaluating anything. They simply looked at him and went, oh, and they know, okay? So it's a supernatural knowing. It's not, I have discernment. I hope all of you do. We gain that kind of discernment, how? <laughs> through the Spirit, but also through our Bible study, through experiences, through learning, through knowing truth from error. Because Kay then took us on later and she said, um, is that gift still necessary today? And we said, oh, yeah, why? What's out there in the world that we have to be careful of? The wolves, the, the, the uh, per 
perversities that are being taught. Uh, some people have no credibility as teachers and they come in and they start teaching and they teach a gospel other than the real gospel, right? Um, they appear to be, but they aren't, right? And how you and I, though, so we definitely know this is a gift for today. We need this gift big time. We need people who have this specific discerning, right? But there is the common discerning that we're all called to do, correct? And then she took us into those passages like, um, uh, was it Corinthians where she says you should be teachers by now? First Corinthians 3, I think it was, but you're not. At, well, how do you get that kind of discerning? Study. You need to be in the Word of God. You gain that through studying. So there's that kind of discerning that we're all called to do. Back to what are we all called to do, right? Can everyone exercise that kind of discerning? Yes. But is that this spiritual gift of distinguishing of spirits? It's, just, it's separate, right? Just like healing. We all can get healing from Jesus even after we're saved, but it wouldn't be through the gifts of healings because that's a gift for a specific purpose, right? Well, also distinguishing of spirits is a gift for a specific purpose. What do you think its purpose might be? What is the benefit of having a person with the gifts of, of distinguishing of spirits? If they are able to, for instance, identify a deceitful magician right off the bat. He didn't know him. He took one look and he knew. God gave him that insight. What was he there to do? He was there to preach the gospel to the proconsul, right? And the proconsul had a heart to want to hear, right? But this magician was going to do what? Yeah, he was going to thwart that plan. And Paul, for whatever reason, knew instantaneously. God gave him a discerning of spirits. So in the fact that he was able to identify him so quickly, he was able to, th to thwart his plan. Rather than the magician thwarting Paul, Paul thwarted the magician, right? And as a matter of fact, when he thwarted him, God also gave a confirmation to his discerning spirit, right? What was the, cons what was the confirmation? Yes. There was a miracle work. Isn't that interesting? So affecting of miracles worked alongside of distinguishing of spirits in that record. So you see both those gifts in effect in that one instance, where first he distinguished the spirit, and then we had an affecting of miracles followed it. Isn't that interesting? And in both cases, it was for the purpose of doing what concerning the proconsul, Bringing him to faith. Interesting. Okay. So it exposes liars, basically, or deceivers. That's what they do. Yes, there we go. Ananias and Sapphira. That was Acts 5.11, right? Um And what came with it? A sign accompanied. And here, a sign. So I would say both of them came also with a sign in both of those records, right? 
One Ananias and Sapphira both died. The other one, this magician became blinded for a period of time. I thought that was really nice that God didn't impose that permanent, but he did it to make a point. <laughs> I am the one who's in this for this man's uh, welfare and for his salvation. Okay, we looked at Acts 16. It was a servant girl, right? This one was kind of interesting. I loved working through this in my in my homework time. And I, I found my old notes on it. It turns out I followed the same course last time I went through it. I had just forgotten I had done it so long ago. Um, but what did you see was going on with this servant girl? Yeah, this man is from God, and he's got the way of salvation for you. And I'm going, preach on, girl, preach on. Why did he shut him down then? If what he said was true. Maybe, maybe. That could be some. I'm annoyed with you. Shut up, right? <laughs> There you go. There you go. Bingo. Bingo, Kristen. That's exactly right. Because the competition was going to be the problem and the mucking of waters. If you have, if you as a Christian associate with someone or something that is not Christian, even though you're working both for a good cause, right? And we, we can really identify with this in our lives. There are a lot of things that you can get on board with a certain agency or company or business, and their, their goal is to accomplish something really good that you're all for. But in order to do it, you're putting the Christian alongside of the unbeliever, or maybe even of a different religion, and it looks like you're both working together in tandem. And so in order for God to, to distinguish the servants of God from the servants of demonic workings and to make sure that there is a clear cut line of distinction between God and these others, right? He called her out on it. And by doing that, when he called out basically and cast that demon out of her, what did that show about the, about who God is and who the demons are? Yeah. That God is the greater power. Right. And so really, this was such an interesting story. I mean, we could spend a whole Bible say just in that one little story. That's how most all of these are. And I see Kristen getting up because I might think my time is over. Um, what an amazing gift this is, though. This one works in tandem also with uh, the idea of evangelism, but not just evangelism. It also works in what other ways? Yeah, so in this case, we see it being used in the church to purify and, and protect the church, right? And here we see it in order to protect um, the uh, gospel uh, and salvation of others, right? For the working of that. 
the the uh, let me put it this way for the um, ministry the ministry of salvation and in this last one in, in Acts 16 we see it for um, this one he was he distinguished um, God from the demonic right and so it had to do with the witness of God who God is right in comparison to, you don't want to get into because Christ's message and reputation must be kept from being polluted by any association with workers of the world or any demonic or satanic activities the lines between us and them must be kept crystal clear right that's what was going on in that particular event Paul's gift to discern and cast the demon out showed God's Paul that that Paul's God was greater than the spirit of that girl it also distinguished the works of the servant girl under demonic inspiration apart from the saving work of God through his servants um, so Paul's actions distinguish God's servant from a servant of demonic spirits okay so in in the end what you see with this gift then is uh, it protects the body of Christ Um, it exposes wolves in our midst. In other words, inside the church, right? We don't want, we want to know if there's someone who comes into us and begins teaching us stuff. They might look great and boy, do people get sucked in and lied and they believe it. If somebody comes into your midst and they're charismatic enough, people just go <gasps> and they swoon all over them. And we fall for it every time because they just say it so nice, right? And so, you know, if you get a person who's got a charismatic personality, you know, this is where Paul, he used to struggle with this, that people didn't want to accept him as being an apostle, right? And he said, I understand I was abnormally born, but God gave me this calling. And he went on and on about that. But Paul, even when... Uh, uh, was it Paul and Apollos and he compared himself to Apollos and what a smooth talker Apollos was and he was not and he says look you're not following Apollos nor are you following Paul it doesn't matter you're following Christ and in, this is kind of one of those things distinguishing of spirits needs to be who are you following is that spirit that's coming into your into your world in that moment is it demonic it could be angelic as well but is it demonic or is it God or is it just man's spirit and it's worldliness okay so man's spirit could be worldly or it could be practical and good stuff but you have to discern all that right and this particular gift is not just discerning is their message good or bad is it right truth or untruth which we all need to be able to do in our as we mature in our faith but this particular gift is someone who's gifted by God to actually have an in, a divinely inspired moment of recognition of a, of a of a spirit that's other than God, and that the their all their motives are ulterior to God's. So that's what happened with 
with the examples that we looked at. The deceitful magician was identified and his plan was thwarted. We see the the woman who was cast, the demon was cast out and that helped them to distinguish between those two ministries. She was working for satanic things and Paul was there to, do, to deliver the gospel of truth. Okay, so distinguishing of spirits protects the body from false messengers, wolves, and those that would lead us astray. They detect deception. Any questions? I know it was a hard, it was a hard um, lesson because we are now, we've entered into these last chapters here where these are the sign gifts, they're the things that are that are kind of in the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm. And we don't talk about the spiritual realm very much. But Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of darkness, right? The things of the air that we don't see. And so what I find very interesting is some of these spiritual gifts actually say, I'm going to show you what's going on in the spiritual realm. I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to do signs. I'm going to do gifts of healing. I'm going to give you utterances from me through a word of wisdom. I'm going to give you a divine knowledge through the, through the word of knowledge. I'm going to also do distinguishing of spirits that you know when the enemy is in your midst. Because otherwise you won't know. Very good. Very nice gifts. I love these. Do you feel a little bit better about them now that we've talked them through?